Amen. Amen. All right. We're ready for the word indeed. Uh, I want you to turn to two passages. One is in Genesis chapter 14. Again, kind of a synthetic text. Uh, Genesis chapter 14. Going to look at a few verses there and then we're going to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 7. I'm not going to make your coffee. I'm going to bring the word of God. (laughs) Hebrews. That was good though. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 14. Um, Verse 18 through 20 and then we'll turn to Genesis 7. Uh, No. This is Genesis 14, 18 through 20, then Hebrews chapter 7. Sorry. Genesis 14. If you have it, can you just shout out amen? Amen. It says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your hands, your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Can you say amen there? And then let's look at Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven. Now I want to read verses one through three and then also um, 23, probably down to 28. Hebrews seven, one through three. And verses 23 through 28. It says this, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He's without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But here it is. But resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. Then we'll drop down to verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save To the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, and unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made priest forever. Can you say amen? Now, I, I, if, yeah, yeah, maybe I can say this. If you, uh, if you were like me, <clears throat> there, was, there was probably times in school, especially high school, where the the teacher, the class you were in, they were teaching something that you knew you weren't going to use in life. I mean, you just knew you weren't going to use it. Uh, I, I think it's great to know Einstein's theory of relativity. I don't know when I've used it. Don't know if I will. Uh, maybe I'm living it. Don't know I'm living it. Uh, I, I just never, I, I knew I wasn't going to have to understand that X to the high power plus uh, whatever G, whatever 
times plus G actually equal formula 2X, which you never really do still get the real, it, it didn't make sense. And I had to do it, but you would lose interest. and just kind of zone out. But in every class, when I had those situations, I always had noted someone in the class that I knew was smarter than me and I knew was all into it. And usually it was the guy who you would see him at lunchtime and they brought their lunch, right? They, they brought their lunch. <laughs> they, they didn't have the opportunity to stand in the line at the snack shack and buy a fried burrito. Mama wouldn't let them. They brought their lunch, right? So I would go to that fella, you know, Tommy, man, I really didn't get that today. Do you mind helping me? Well, I don't know if I got, you know, they're busy. You know, I tell you what, man, how about I buy you a fried burrito from the snack shack with a, with a, with a strawberry, uh, uh, you, you know, we, we drunk strawberry back in those days. Yeah, that's right. How about that? I mean, their eyes would light up because all they get is what mama give them for lunch. So you're sitting down at lunch. They got their fried burrito. They're happy. Man, can you just show me your paper? <laughs> You know where this is going, right? And, you know, he's showing me the formula. Man, I'm just going to have to write that down. All I needed was the answers. Only cost me 75 cent fried burrito and a strawberry soda. That's all it cost. And, and here's the risk I take today. With, with what you got going on in life, with whether it be family struggles and financial challenges or parenting issues or just life decisions, I run a big risk of you not giving a rip about Melchizedek. I run a big risk because Melchizedek Melchizedek is not the type of guy that you just want to learn about. We don't know a whole lot about him. This is what I will tell you. This is what I will tell you. First of all, at CTC, you know, one of our hashtags is grow. We want you to be learners who know the word of God. And that's the whole counsel of God. The other part of that is there's Old Testament principles that we need to embrace. I always struggle when people just say, well, you just need to know the New Testament. No, that's not true. There's Old Testament principles you need to know. And I'm telling you, I want CTC to be a church where people know the word of God. I, I really do. Listen, I, listen, when you're standing in the line and you're at the, whatever, you go to the buffet, one of these buffets, uh, Golden Corral, and folks up in front of you went to church and they're, they're talking about how great church we is. And man, I'm going to, today's my day. It's going to be a turnaround moment. I'm getting my car back. I'm getting my house back. I'm getting my joy back. I'm getting my peace back. You can tell them, you know, I got all that and I know who Melchizedek is. All that and a box of chips. Now, there's one thing about this fellow that I can tell you. We don't hear a whole lot about him in the Bible. Don't hear a whole lot about him. The passage that I read is the only time we actually see him. But Melchizedek represents what we know in scriptures is called, some people say types and shadows, other people say uh, symbols and types. There are things that's in the scripture that represent someone else or are prefiguring someone else. Um, symbols, 
uh, Jesus is the rock. Now, he's not really a rock, but rock is a symbol of Jesus' character. The lamb of God. Well, Jesus is not really a lamb, but the lamb is a symbol uh, of Jesus' humility. And we can go on down the line. We see a lot of that in the New Testament. But there's also those that are prefigures. When we see the person, they're real people, but they're pointing us to something that we're to learn about or know about Jesus and his work in the New Testament. For example, Moses was a real person, but Moses also was a prefigure of Christ, of someone who's going to lead us out of the bondages of sin into freedom. Joshua was a real person, but Joshua was also a prefigure of Christ of someone who leads us to the land that's been promised. Jonah is a real person, but Jonah is also a prefigure of what God does in the life even after we disobey in his sovereignty and in his providence how he gets us to do the thing that he, very, uh, that he exceptionally wanted us to do. Prefigures, you guys follow me on that. We see the same here with Melchizedek. Melchizedek was absolutely a prefigure of Jesus Christ. Now, historically, when we see him in that passage, we see him historically, he's talked about prophetically and also theologically in Hebrews 7. Historically, when we first meet him is when Abraham is now in the land of of Canaan that the Lord had promised And Lot, his nephew, as you can recall, separated from Abraham and went to the place called Sodom. uh, And uh, Sodom, and most of you heard the term Sodom and Gomorrah, talks about places and cities that were full of debauchery. That's where Lot was. Abraham was living in in his place. Well, four kings decided that they wanted to attack five kings and take over their land. One of the kings who they went up against was the king of Sodom, where Lot was, Abraham's nephew. The four kings defeated the five kings. Somebody sent word to Abraham, the five kings have been defeated, the king of Sodom has been defeated, and they've taken much of the spoils, including Lot and his family. Abraham, now mind you, this shows you how bad of a dude Abraham is. Abraham just calls 318 men out of his household. Yeah, you got that right. 318 people in his household try to feed that every day. So he told 318 men, come on, fellas, we taking care of business. Those 318 trained men of Abraham went on and wiped out those other four kings. Abraham is on his way back, and he's greeted by someone by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes before Abraham. Abraham stops, and the scripture says that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. He served him what we know as communion first, wine and bread. to to express a relationship that you and I have. He serves him communion. Abraham receives a communion. Melchizedek pronounces a blessing on him, basically saying, I have come from the Most High God, pronouncing a blessing upon you, one who's honored by the Most High God, and basically tells him about the blessing that's yet to come, which is affirming what Abraham had already heard. Abraham recognizes who he was. That this, 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 is, this is a real person, but he's representing someone greater than himself. And Abraham, in turn, gives him the tithe, a tenth of everything. Without going too much into that, the, the system of tithing was not going to be set up for a few hundred years later. They were actually going to leave out of 
Egypt and uh, start the, what we call the Levita, Levitical priesthood, where the Lord established a family by the name of Levi. And their purpose was to be priest. And their purpose was to serve in the temple. And whenever the people of God wanted to meet with God, they would go to a priest. They would either take a sacrifice and offering for various reasons, but they would also take the tithe, which was what God commanded to show my goodness and blessing unto you. And they would take a tithe of, of a tenth of everything that they had raised, earned, etc., which is a practice we still practice. What makes this interesting is that Abraham done this before tithing was even set up. Abraham done this before the Levitical priesthood was even set up. Abraham was giving a picture of because of the God that we serve and his goodness and his blessing to us, we're to give back to him out of what he gives to us. It was a pre-picture. And he also recognized that he was dealing with someone that's greater than just a man that I see. It's a man that people don't know his genealogy. People don't know uh, when, he, when he died. People know that he's one that's established to be in this role forever. He recognized that he was a type of Christ. Now, this is why the writer of Hebrews picks up on that story. Because the psalmist said this about Melchizedek. He said Melchizedek in Psalm 110 uh, verse 4, he says Melchizedek gave us the picture of who Jesus is as our high priest. So he takes them back to remember, remember Abraham, remember he met Melchizedek. Melchizedek recognized that he was the priest of the most high God. But he also notes this, and this is where the theology comes in in Hebrews chapter 7. He also noted this. Melchizedek was a king and a priest. Now I want you to note this. In the nation of Israel, the land of Israel, you could be a king or you could be a priest, but you're never both. You're either a king or you're a priest. But Melchizedek by his very name, Melchi means righteousness. Uh, sorry, uh, um, uh, Melchi being uh, Zedek being righteousness, Melchi being peace, Shalom being the place of where he was a king over, the place of peace. Abraham recognized that in Melchizedek is the very character traits that we have of Jesus Christ. Jesus is both king and priest. And the first picture of what we see that Jesus is like is in Melchizedek. Now, I think these are going to be on the, on the screen, but let me run these down to you just to show you that Jesus was both king and priest. In 1 John 2, 1, the scripture called Jesus Christ the righteous. In Isaiah 9, 1 and 7, it talks about Jesus reigning in righteousness. And I want, I want you to hear this verse. It says, talking about Christ's rule, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forever. So he's the priest, he's the righteous one, he reigns in righteousness, and Ephesians 2, 14 through 18 says he's also the king of peace. Listen to this about Jesus. Therefore, having been justified, meaning declared righteous, talking about us, by faith, uh, let, let me stop for just a moment so that you understand that word justification. Because this is absolutely what justification means. The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, 
you truly commit your life to Jesus, that very moment, all of your sins are taken away. That very moment, you're forgiven. And now God looks at you as a justified person, being one that's being made right with him as if you never have sinned. One of the reasons that we say the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ is because the only one who can work righteousness in you is Jesus. He's the only one. Only one that can make us right. Only one that can justify us. So by faith, we now listen. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Melchizedek, priest forever. Melchizedek, priest of the most high God, represented a type of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's good. That's solid. They got that. But here's the issue. This is why the writer of Hebrews is writing to them specifically about this incident. You remember, uh, and of course we've been, I don't know how many months we've been dealing with Hebrews, so I, I probably should remind you, oftentimes I would tell you that one of the things that this group of people was going through is that once they gave their life to Christ, they started having trouble in the community. They're in a community of people who believed one way. And it, it's, a real, it's a real simple picture. It would be if we lived in an all-Muslim community and we gave our life to Christ and people knew we gave our life to Christ, that would be trouble on the horizon. Everybody understands that, correct? Here where they are in a, in, a, in, a, in a group, a community of Jewish people who practice the old Jewish ways still abide by the Old Testament, who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, still practice some of the old tenets of the faith, still recognize the priest, still understand the way of sacrifices, still live that manner, still looking for Jesus to come. That's their practice. That's their religion. That's their lifestyle. And then there's a group of people among that community that give their life to Jesus and declare that everything was done for me because of Jesus Christ. I no longer have to work and earn my salvation. It's all done by Jesus. And so they're praying to Jesus and they're singing about Jesus among a community of people who are saying, we don't even believe in that guy. We don't even believe that he was real. We don't even believe that he was who he said that he was. Here, here they are. They decide that they're going to they're gonna now look forward to the return of Jesus and have eternal life. And they're living among people who said, what are you believing in? It's absolutely wrong. And so the persecution begins. Now they start not, not, they start not frequenting their businesses. Or they might even put pressure on them and have their businesses closed. Now they can't rent homes. They might be pushed out in the streets or got to combine in other places. Everything, they can't go to the Hebrew schools anymore because now they're Christians. And so everything starts to change for them. When they were under the, the idea and the mindset that giving our life to Christ is going to make everything better, now they're facing all kinds of challenges. And so this is what they're beginning to think. Man, it may be better for us just to go back and do it the old way. Just go back and do it the old way so we don't have to deal with, you know, look, look what we're going through. Look what our family's going through. Look at the challenges we're facing. Look at the threats that we're going to. It might be better to go back the old way. And the writer of Hebrews says, hold on, time out. Time out. You want to go back to the old way? You want to go back to the doing things in the way of the temple where you got to go to the temple every week and take an offering? 
because of your sin? You want to go back to the old way where you got to go to a priest who you hope that he'll tell you that your sins are, are, uh, are put aside? You want to go back to the old way of living life the old way and working and earning salvation? His whole message is, listen to me. Jesus is absolutely better. He's absolutely better than that old way. And he uses Melchizedek to bring this point because here is what he wanted to tell them. If Abraham gave tithe to Melchizedek, which showed how great Melchizedek was, and he recognized that, that, that uh, Melchizedek represented Christ to come, how much more better is Jesus himself? If Melchizedek was as great as he was, how much more better is Jesus? And he begins to list the things on why Jesus is so much better as our high priest. And one of the things he says is that Jesus was able to do what the law couldn't do and what the priest couldn't do. And he talks over and over again about people being perfected, about being perfected. And he's not talking about uh, without any flaw or defect it refers to our condition remember in those those times in those seasons whenever they sinned they had to take animal sacrifices different kind of things to the temple take it to the priest priest lifts it up before the lord and they hope that that would allow them to stay in a tolerable place with god until the next time they had to take it again he said listen that's the way it was under that priesthood let me tell you it is how under the high priest of jesus we don't have to take any sacrifices to the temple. We don't have to bring stuff to the pastor, to the priest, hope he gets it before God, hope he's okay to take it before God, where he can come out of the holies of holies and say, okay, all is good until the next time you sin. The scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that Jesus took all of our sins and he became the sacrifice once and for all. We no longer live tolerable, we live absolutely accepted because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? He said Jesus is better because he's permanent. We see that in verse 23 and 24. Again, those priests, they had to go in by age and seasons and eventually they would die off. And then the next priest would come and he would be the one that would represent you. And then he would die off and then the next one would come. But not Jesus. Jesus is a priest that lives forever. He's not someone who's playing peekaboo with us with our life and with our sin. Jesus is always very present, always very real. I don't have to go find him and, and go to a priest and say, oh, that one died. Oh, that one's too old. Oh, that one can't even carry my lamb. I, I just open up my heart go on my knees and go before the Lord Jesus Christ who is a priest forever. And the scripture says this, he's a better priest because of perpetual petition. I love this. Hebrews 7, 25, the latter part of that says this, he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, this may not turn you on like it turns me on, but I, I got to tell you something. I, I love it I, I actually do love it when people just text and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I love that. I love no. I got a wife that's praying for me. I got children praying for me. I got a team of people that pray. And I think you do too. We send out prayer requests because we want to know that people is praying, interceding on our behalf. And as much as I love that, I got to tell you something. The one prayers that I know works every single time is the prayers of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the scripture says, he's always interceding for me, always praying for us. Why? Because he loves us and cares for us that much. 
And then that last thing that he said about these high priests, why Jesus was better, is because he's absolutely perfect, absolutely holy. Every one of those priests before were just like you and I. They had blemishes, not innocent, stained, got to deal with their own sin before they can deal with your sin, but not Jesus. Jesus is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous. He absolutely goes before our God and Father and declares righteousness for us because he's a holy, righteous one. And he calls us to draw near. Draw near to him, not to the temple, not to the priest, not to the old sacrifices, but draw near to him. Why? Because he said this, if you draw near to me, I guarantee you that I'll save you. I guarantee you that I'll save you. I titled this salvation guaranteed, but here is the heart of this. He is able to save forever. Listen to this. Those who draw near to God through him. I want to say that again. He's able to save forever. I need to talk to folks who are worried day after day after day. Have I done enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I been baptized right? Have I I been enough Bible studies? Have I done enough this? Jesus saves forever those who draw near to him. Not about enough works, not about enough action, not about enough activity. Jesus saves forever those who draw near to him. Now, and and I'm going to tell you something. Salvation is radical. Salvation is is, is not just helping people become better. Salvation is is, is not just something extra to round out our life where you just kind of throw Jesus in and stick him in your pocket like a lucky rabbit's foot. Salvation is radical. Salvation means I recognize I was lost, that I was empty, that I was defiled, that I was incapacitated, and I was in danger of dying, and I could not help myself. If you still believe you can help yourself or save yourself, listen to me. I'm your pastor, and I love you, but you don't know Jesus. You do not know Jesus. If you think you can help yourself or save yourself, Jesus Christ is Savior of the world. And the only way we can be saved is through him. We are absolutely people that are totally depraved. Totally depraved. Catch this. Until we realize that without Christ, we're so far from God. Listen to what Ephesians 4 says. We're darkened in our understanding. We're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in us. Because of hardness of our hearts. Because we've become callous. callous, And we've given ourselves over to sensuality and practices and every kind of impurity and greediness. It's not a pretty picture. But that's the condition of who we are when Jesus saves us. And none of us are so good that when Jesus died on the cross for us, you can say, you you know, Jesus, I've been thinking about this. Some of that probably like them liars and adulterers. I I get that. And, you know, I I know you need to die for them for that, but, but not me. Can I tell you something about total depravity? Total depravity means this. Without Christ, you are susceptible to do anything counter to the will and the word of God anything counter to the will and the word of God, darkened in our understanding. And what do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from the wrath and eternal judgment of God. We need to be saved from that. Can I just, is it okay if I read some Bible verses? Y'all okay with the Bible? 
Yeah, you good? John 3, 36 says this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Listen to this. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's the word of God. Didn't hear one amen in the house, but I'm preaching anyway. Go for it, Pastor. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.10. The scripture says this. Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Romans, that's another amen. Thank you, Pastor. No, 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 forget about it. I've lost y'all. Romans 5, 9. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Thank you, man. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He did that. And it's absolutely grace that cannot be resisted. It's grace that is so strong, I can't fight it. I can't work against it. God's grace, God's mercy, it's by his great love that he saved me, called me out of my sins and out of my transgressions. It's by God's grace that I have been saved. Can you say amen? And the scripture says he does this, he saves us to the uttermost or completely, or forever. It's him that preserves us. It's him that keeps us. I love this passage. This is what Jesus says. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise them up on the last day. I'm telling you, that's a verse that I love. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Everyone that's come to me, I'm not losing none of them. Not a one. Or we may go through times of doubt like Thomas, and we may even go through some periods of denying some things like Peter. But the scripture is clear. He is not losing none of us. Every one of us that belong to him are his. And he's constantly making intercession. Now, this is what Jesus said, and I'll wrap this up with this team. You can actually come. It leaves, he's leaving one question. It's almost like the writer was giving this message in the church and, 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 and now he brings it to a point to make an altar call and basically says this, if you believe that Jesus is the greater high priest and that's the one you need to trust in and that's the one you need to go to, it's almost like he asked him, then what do you need to do? And there's only one answer. You just got to draw near. Not, not go run and get no sacrifice, no animal. Not, not determine, man, can I just do more stuff? No, not, not, not determine, man, if I, I just, oh, I just can't stop doing these things that I'm doing. I just get so overwhelmed with guilt and shame. No, he just said this, draw near. Draw near. I'm telling you, you know, we, we, we used to sing a song. I don't know if we still do, but it, it, it says Jesus is calling. I know there's devotions on that. And that's the very thing that he's saying for us to do. Just draw near. Listen to what this word says, Hebrews 10, It says, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. And now can I, I just want to make a distinction here. Because the, the writer of James, he writes to people who are believers. He's not writing to people who don't know the Lord. He's writing to believers. And James uses some strong language in one of his passages, one of his writings. And it's, it's, it's verse eight out of chapter four. And here's what he says. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, 
purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I I just want to bring this home. And by no means question whether you know Christ or don't know Christ. You need to know that and settle it in your heart. But what I do want you to know that James is saying is this. There's moments in our life, seasons in our life, times in our life to where we know Jesus Christ is God and Savior. We know that he's our Lord and Savior. But when we hit certain moments in our life, instead of us trusting that, we actually pull away from and no. We may not go to the old sacrifices, but we go to the old line of anxiety. We go to the old way of worry. We go to the old way of stress. We go to the old way of, I got to fix this. I got to get help. I need to work this out. We fall into some of the old patterns and the message is the same as it was when we went to him for salvation. You got a crisis in your life, just draw near. You got a family problem, just draw near. You got a marital issue, just draw near. Struggling with your children, just draw near. Not sure if you should change jobs, just draw near. Make sure that my heart, my mind, my commitment is absolutely settled. That Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and I'm always going to draw near to him. Everybody can stand if you would. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, it, it, it doesn't even, the promises, the blessings, the, the things of God, eternal life, new life doesn't even start without that. You, you got to make that commitment first. And if I could bring it back into the language of the, the writer of Hebrews without getting too murky with it. You know, you're kind of in the same boat. If you, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, you're really kind of in the same boat that they're, that they're in. Because really, you're still trusting in something else to save you. Again, it may not be the same, the old stuff that they were, but you're still trusting in something else. Or you're still not convinced that you need a Savior. Or you're still not convinced that Jesus is the Savior. I'm, I'm going to ask you, What's everything, how's everything else been working? How's it been working out? You, you still got the same challenges, still got the same worries, still got the same anxieties. Can I say this? You still got the same fears. You still got the same insecurities. You're still concerned about death. As a matter of fact, you're trying to outlive death. You're trying to outlive it because you know internally, mentally, inside of you, you know you're not ready for it. But you're not really sure why you're not ready for it. So you keep trying to get ready for it. And I'm telling you, the only ready is to draw near to Jesus. That's the only ready. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to make a couple of, couple of calls. First, I want to appeal to those of you that want to make a commitment to give your life to Jesus. I, I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus is better than anything else, any other person, anything else you've done. Jesus is better. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus today, I'd be happy, happy to follow up with you uh, right, right here at this, at this altar. But with eyes closed and head bowed, let me, let me just ask if you're here and you want to make a commitment to Christ, you want to say today, I want to trust him as my Savior. I, I want to go with the one that is absolutely proven to be better, that loves me, who died for me who forgave me of my sin and promised to be a companion for me 
forever. If you say, I want to make that commitment, just raise your hand. Wherever you are, just raise your hand. I will meet you here. God bless you. God bless you. I'd be more than happy to meet you right here in the front. With the head bowed and eyes closed, I want to say a prayer for, for, for us all. Those that have saying, yes, I want to make that commitment. Let's, let's, let's pray together with them. Would you just say this with me? Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross for me. I'm grateful to have forgiveness of sins, and I'm grateful to have eternal life. From this day forward, I want to live for you. I thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit that will be a companion all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Now I want to say one more prayer. Father, you know, every one of us here are people that we can fall back into old ways, old ways of thinking, old ways of doing things. It may not be the old system of life like we read about in the passages here, but the old ways. And Lord, my prayer is for every one of us to constantly, consistently practice drawing near to you. Help us to do that. Lord, I speak that for my brothers. I speak that for my sisters. I speak that for those of us that are gathered here together. Help us be people that learn how to just stay consistently drawing near to you. You love us. Lord God, you love us. Just like you blessed Abraham, you want to bless us. Just like, you, just like you made a promise to him that you would be the most high God for him forever. You're making that promise to us. Lord, help us to draw near to you. And stay in that place of receiving the peace and the joy of knowing we got a God who loves us. Lord, as we go from here to our various places and homes, I know, Lord God, whatever people have on their day, they, you know, that, that you would protect, that you would guide, and people will enjoy their time. But most of all, let us leave here, Lord God, being light, being salt, being people that practice what we believe, live out loud, Lord God, the spirit of God that, that's uh, working in us, and declare with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, may the people of God shout hallelujah. Come on, give God a praise.